Good morning. There's this town high in the Alps. And this town has this beautiful stream that runs right through it. You see, it has such a crisp, clean smell. And it draws the kids and the families. They have picnics there. They play there. The swans and the geese, they, they land. They enjoy the beauty of the water. You even have the trout in this stream. And the water is so clear that you can see right down to the bottom. But further up the mountain a little ways, there's a, a gentleman known as the keeper of the stream. And this, this gentleman was hired, who knows when, but he was hired to make sure that all the springs that fed into that stream were clean of debris. So every day, the keeper of the stream would go out, he would move, remove the twigs, he would remove the leaves, whatever could muddy up the streams, he, he pulled out. But then, as with a lot of things in life, the city council meets and they decide we can't pay for him anymore. We have more important things to do. And so, this old gentleman who, who knows when he started working, but this has been his life's mission, stopped being the keeper of the spring. And it didn't happen all at once. It happened little by little. But the springs that fed into that stream started getting the leaves, started getting the twigs. It almost became like a stagnant bog. Animal waste was in there. Kids didn't want to play there. The geese certainly didn't want to go there. And people were just getting sick. And so, again as is the habit of a lot of cultures and societies. Uh, town council, again, reconvenes and they say, what are we going to do about this? And so they debate and they talk and they decide, we have to hire the keeper of the stream. So they do. And again, at first, you don't see a lot of change. But every morning as the keeper of the stream went out there and took away the trash, took away that debris, Little by little, the stream became clean again. If you ignore it, it takes a little bit before things get bad. If you pay attention to it, again, it takes a little bit of time before it gets better. And part of the reason I enjoy that story is it's an analogy. Your soul is the stream and you are the keeper. The things that we allow into our lives will make our souls healthy or dirty. And I don't know if this is a true story. I mean, this is a real picture, but I don't know if it's a true story or if it's one of those villages that was invented for pastors to swap this story around. But, but I do know that there is truth that is contained in the image of being a keeper of your stream. Now, whatever we allow into our lives, good or bad, will impact us. And so, there are obvious things that we know we should not 
put into our lives. And there are other things that are good, but we need to do it in moderation. For example, by looking at me, you can tell that in moderation, I go to the gym. No, not really. Uh, But putting things into our lives, allowing things into our lives in moderation is a good and right thing. Maybe you can think of a time when you went overboard. Maybe you can think of a time that you should have used moderation. Because even good things need to be tempered. Today, as we continue our Four Psalms for Peace series, I want to talk about moderation and our response to technology when it causes weariness and even damage in our lives. However, let me make this disclaimer. I'm not saying all technology is bad, and I'm not going to give a full theology of technology. There are great things that technology brings. We are using a lot of them at this moment. But again, we need to talk about moderation. So, uh, technology is an aspect of culture, and last week we said that culture is what we humans make of the created world. And technology is a result of humanity's culture building. Like culture, there's good technology and bad technology. It really depends on how humans steward that technology. Tony Rinke in his book, God, Technology, and the Christian Life, defines technology as applied science and amplified power. It is art, method, know-how, formulas, and expertise. Additionally, he asserts that tech intensifies our dexterity, it augments our influence, and it empowers our previously feeble intentions. It's a mouthful. So, what is technology? It is the advancement of science with power for the purpose of making human life better. Does that make sense? Technology intends to use science and power, use the created world, science, and our influence, our intellect, our power to improve the quality and ease of of human lives. For today, I'm going to focus on a specific type of technology. When I speak of technology, think of smartphones, tablets, computers, television, social media, and the internet. And I know there's a lot of nuance in that. Um, But again, we can't be here all day. Um, Otherwise, I would give that talk. But because there is nuance, I want us to understand cell phones, screen time, the televisions that we use, the technology that we use that may end up spending, we may be spending too much time focusing on. And since I won't be focusing on that full theology of technology, uh, I do want to recommend to you Tony Rinke's book. Uh, If you're looking for something to, to slowly walk through. It's, it's a little bit thicker than I would like it to be, but if you're looking for something slowly to walk through and have a positive outlook on technology and even look at historical Christians and their understanding of technology, this is a really good book for you. But we're not here to talk about someone else's words. We're here to talk about God's words. And because they're 
were no psalms, at least that I could find, uh, that talk about smartphones in the Bible times, uh, what are we to do? What are we to go to in order to understand how technology and worship correspond? Well, what I did was I looked for a psalm that helped us understand our heart's posture towards technology and God. In Psalm 63, in the middle of a painful time, we find David and his attitude and his demeanor to to help inform us of how we should look at technology rightly, to look at our desires and our, our contentment. So what David is teaching us through Psalm 63 is that there is healing and comfort to be found when our desires and our priorities are rightly ordered. When we go to Psalm 63, we can know for certain what God desires for us, and then we can consider our own desires. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to, turn to Psalm 63 as I read. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy." My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, this psalm was written by David while he was in the wilderness of Judah. We learn this through the heading or the superscription of this psalm. So biblically and historically, we know that David was in the wilderness of Judah two specific times. Once, when Saul was after him, and the second, when David's own son, Absalom, was after him. In verse 11, we saw that David referred to himself as king, a title and position that he held after the death of Saul. And so because of this, uh, it seems more likely that this psalm was written when Absalom was trying to usurp the kingdom. And while David was on the run, he found himself missing the presence of God at the Ark of the Covenant. At this point in Israel's history, it's the formal place of worship. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant is, the presence of God rested. As one commentator stated, David satisfied the longing of his soul for worship by praising God for his loyal love, even in his distress. As a result, David confidently anticipated a time of joy when his enemies would be stopped. So in other words, David was meditating upon the character of God and the benefits that he received from a personal relationship with God. David's circumstances and afflictions did not stop David from considering God and the joy that comes from being rightly positioned with him. 
If I were to name this psalm or give it a theme, I would would just call it a satisfied thirst. From the very beginning, David is talking to God and describing the multitude of ways he desires to be satisfied. And he's satisfied by God's power, by his presence, by God's character. And for David and for the Christian today, for you and I, having our deep desires met by God as our ultimate hope and our ultimate need. So, what does a psalm written while on the run from a murderous son have to do with our theme of peace from technology? That's, it's a, a question I really wrestled with this week. Um, but like David, if we were to observe our culture, observe our circumstances, like David, we would find ourselves in the pursuit, in the midst of a pursuit for our own lives. And it's only in God that we can be satisfied and be taken care of. Though the situations may be different, the application of it can be for everyone as we seek peace. So even if we are consumed with technology that seeks to overwhelm us, you and I can find peace and hope in God through Christ as found in this psalm. So, um, one, of my, one of my favorite sayings that uh, always elicits a groan from my wife is, I'm a pretty man and I like pretty things. Uh, it's, it's my way of saying I like fancy things. I like really nice things. And so several years ago, um, I really had a desire for the Apple Watch. I love watches. I, I don't have enough money to buy all the watches that I would like, but I really enjoy watches. Um, and so I got it in my mind that I needed the Apple Watch uh, because where else can you change the face of your watch every single day? Uh, it's, it's on the top of my list, I guess. Um, so anyway, I, I re- recognize that I need need the Apple Watch. Uh, Every YouTube video that I could find, every article that I could find, every conversation I could have, even going into the Apple store and walking around and just kind of looking at it and touching it and going, oh, this is is what I need. This is what I hunger for. Um, So uh, I was just consumed with it. And then there came a day when I had the money for it. So I walk in, I walk a little taller that day, and I'm like, this one. This is what I need. Um, So I get it, take it out to the car, slap it on my wrist. Man, I'm I'm pumped. But you know, the funniest thing happened, probably within a day or two. It didn't fit my needs. It didn't satisfy my needs. Uh, There were still disappointments and frustrations and I just can't work it right. Um, But how could that be? I hungered for it. I thirsted for it. Well, I came to the conclusion that, you know what, this is, this is an early edition. They're going to they're gonna work all, out all the problems. I'm just going to get rid of it and I sold it. And a little bit later when the newest model came out, I convinced myself, all right, they, they got it done. This is this is now the perfect addition. And so, again, fixated on it, wanted it, I got it. The same thing happened. 
the same thing happened. Except this time, I didn't sell it. I just gave it away. I was like, I, it's, I'm not dealing with the headache of trying to find a buyer and negotiating. Just someone take it. So, um, again, the technology itself was a disappointment because I, I expected it to do something for me that it was never meant to do. I learned that I had a hunger for completeness, for wholeness, but that's not what that watch was for. I replaced something I needed for something that was never truly meant to satisfy. And what about you? Does that sound familiar? Is there something that you find yourself thirsting for, longing for, just absolutely fixated on, but it continues to be a disappointment? You know, part of the problem with technology in our culture is that we have advertisers promising us fulfillment when that technology can never fulfill our deepest needs and desires. Advertisers are making it more and more accessible on YouTube and games and every area of our lives to see that we need something, but it's not truly what we need. Andy Crouch, in his book, The TechWise Family, states that 65% of parents uh, believe that parenting is more difficult as a result of technology and social media. This is the highest concern from his report. Parents are more worried about technology and social media than they are about the world being a more dangerous place, a lack of common morality, about financial factors, or even academic pressures. For 65% of parents, they're concerned about technology and social media in the place of their kids' lives. But let's be honest, it's not just a, a kid or a teen problem. It's, it's a problem for adults as well. And I'm one of those people. So I always make the joke that I'm not good with technology, which is true, but I do love my cell phone a lot. Um, and so Sunday mornings are always really difficult because I always get that notification about my screen time. And so I'm proud to say that my screen time went down 19% this past week for an average of 22 hours a day. No, not really. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, but for me, it is, it's a convicting thing in the moment. But if I'm not careful and if I don't order my life right and my week right, I become consumed with it again and again. And so conviction should lead to change. And I hate seeing when my time does increase. Because if I reflect on it, if I reflect on my week, I notice I've missed out on so many good things. Simple things. Time with friends. Time with my wife. Time with the Lord. And I share this because the things that we spend the most time with tend to be the things that we worship the most. David understood that the things that we dwell on are the things that we worship. And so going back to, to David in Psalm 63, he knew what he needed for safety and for, for fulfillment. You know, running from his son, son he could have asked God for, for protection, for safety, for things to just go back to the way they were. But rather, David 
thirsted for God. For David, what he needed in that moment was to be satisfied with God's love and presence. When you wake up in the morning or when you give a sermon, uh, your mouth is dry a lot of times. And so, do you find yourself thirsting for coffee, for tea, for soda? Or do you find yourself thirsting for water? Do you reach for something out there that it's not bad, it's just not meant to satisfy? For me, whenever I have a dry mouth, only water will do. And that's the feeling that I think David had uh, as I read verse 1 of Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirst for you, my flesh faints for you. David fled Jerusalem. He was no longer in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant with the presence, the manifested presence of God. He's away from the public worship of God with his brothers and sisters. And David expresses just how much he misses that experience. David begins to feel dry and parched. David needed God. In verse 1 as well, the word earnestly. I, I, I thought this was fascinating. The word earnestly can also be translated as early. And because of this, in church history, the church has often used Psalm 63 as a morning psalm, read in the morning. Um, and as one commentator stated, to seek someone early is to seek them earnestly. When you wake up in the morning, what is it that you long for? What is it that you set your mind on? For that day. For David, he is seeking God from the moment he woke up to the time he went to bed. The longing that David had for God was the source to keep going. But for us, is it our Facebook notifications? Is it our text messages? Our emails? Is it our work? What is it that gets us up in the morning and we fixate on? Whatever we're looking to is what we're thirsting for, and what we're thirsting for is what we're worshiping. But can you, like David, honestly say that you thirst for God? I hope that that's what I have in my life, and I hope that is true for you. I hope that we can cultivate a thirst for God each and every day. But again, so often in our culture, these these advertisers promise us that for an additional $300, we're going to get something better. We're going to fix the issue that the previous edition had. But rarely are we satisfied with that upgrade. We find ourselves with the, the, the same old problems, just a new color and maybe a few new ringtones. God satisfies and never disappoints. God does not need an upgrade. He does not need a new color scheme. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the character of God satisfies the thirsty and hungry because our greatest needs are in Him. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need, every hunger, every thirst in Christ Jesus will be met for you 
because of your faith in Christ Jesus. So what gets you up in the morning? Seriously consider that. What is it that my mind goes to? Now, I'm not talking about the occasional work is stressful or I have this early meeting or whatever. I'm talking about, by and large, what is it that your mind is set upon each day? If it isn't God, then, then we may need to re- reconsider what that thing is and maybe identify it as an idol. All water except the living water of Jesus Christ will make us thirsty again. May our thirst be quenched by God and God alone. Now, uh, the second section, verses 3 through 8 in this psalm, shows David's satisfaction with God. So if the first two verses he's thirsting, these next few verses he's being satisfied. Even David, even though David had just expressed his thirst for God, he is still satisfied because of God's character. As David reflects in this section, it's as if David's thirst is being quenched because God is providing relief. God's love nourished and refreshed David. And then we see David's worshipful response. From verses 3 through 8, there are six verses, and we see that David worships with his whole body. We see David's lips praise God in verse 3. We see David lift his hands to God in verse 4. We again see David offer words of praise in verse 5. And David says that he will meditate or think upon God in verse 6. David sings God's praise in verse 7. And David says that he will cling to God, showing a deep relationship with him and a a deep care for God in verse 8. The worship of God entails David's whole body. And you and I have the opportunity as well to worship God with our lips and our hands by meditating on Scripture and through a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only is it available, but it's exactly what God desires and longs for us to have with Him. Yet, many times, our lips are full of anger, our hands are filled with our phones, we're meditating on things other than God, and we have a deeper and more intimate relationship with our screens than we do with God or with His people. And I don't say this to shame us. I say this as an observable fact in myself and many others. What would it look like for us to commit our bodies, our minds, to the worship and service of Jesus Christ? I've been challenged and convicted this week uh, because I know that I rely too much on my phone and I rely too much on myself when I should be relying on the Spirit himself to grow me. David does not casually engage God, and neither should we. We must not spend time with him at our convenience. We must engage God every day with our entire being as much as we are able to. There's too much at stake for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our community, and for all of eternity, for us to not engage God often. The technology that we consume oftentimes hinders us from engaging God. 
Pastor Dustin and I were talking about it this week about how often on our, on our phones we'll get a notification if we're reading our Bible and we end up clicking that. It, it's not necessarily a text message. It, it may be about uh, the latest razor blades from Harry's that I click on. I'm not using those. Why did I click on it? The distractions from technology prevent us from engaging with God. We lose track of time. Uh, literally, this, this last week, uh, Becca and I, it's, it's getting late in the evening, and Becca asks if uh, I'm going to come to bed soon. I said, yeah, I'll be there in just a couple minutes, and I'm checking one more thing. And so I spend a couple minutes, and I end up putting my phone up, and I go to bed, and she's already asleep. And I, I, I wake her up, and I'm like, hey, like, are we not going to read tonight? Like, wh- what's going on? Um, well, come to find out, those few minutes was more like 30 to 40 minutes that I was on my phone. Um, and how easy that is for all of us. Um, she fell asleep, not because she was angry, but because she was tired. And me choosing screen time over my wife hindered that relationship in that moment. You know, um, I, just, I had the problem of zombie scrolling. You know what that is? It's, it's where you're mindlessly scrolling. Zombies are looking for brains, and if I'm just scrolling, I have no mind. We're zombie scrolling. Uh, and there's, there's no purpose to it. It's just, it's wasting time, and it's wasting valuable time that we are not always guaranteed. And so where are we putting our focus and our emphasis? You see, David's own son is out to steal the kingdom from David, And what does David do? He doesn't sulk. He doesn't uh, hide, but he worships. And that's what defines a person of God. A person who follows God praises him and worships him regardless of the situation. What would it look like if now when things are good, if you're in a season where, where life is good, it's easy, it's pleasant, What would it look like for us to put the technology aside and cultivate worship of God so that when the affliction and the suffering and the dissatisfaction that is inevitable in this life, we're not Googling how does God help those in these seasons, but we've cultivated a relationship with him so that we know where to turn and what to do. David knows and remembers in this psalm, that God satisfies and sustains him. The technology that I'm speaking of can never do that. It's for entertainment. But God, through Christ, is our enjoyment, giving us exactly what our soul needs. Brett McCracken, in his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, said, Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusements, less joy. And isn't that true and convicting? My goodness, as as I read this this week, my initial reaction was, nope, get away. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. But it's true. And I need it. 
And it's not technology's fault. It's my fault. It's a worship disorder. David in Psalm 63 shows us that God is the only thing that can satisfy us. And God is faithful to do that. But is he the one that we're thirsting after? If so, he will satisfy us. But if we're spending too much time on our screens and away from God, we will never be satisfied. <laughs> so this last week, as, uh, as I think through this message, I pray through it, I, I wrestle with it, uh, myself and, and some of the staff members uh, found that it would be maybe a, a helpful exercise to consider um, what this psalm would look like if it was written from a cultural perspective. So, uh, several of us spent time paraphrasing Psalm 63. And what we've come up with, I think, rings true. We have, O oh, iPhone, you are my God. Earnestly, I search the house for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because you can't get wet and I don't have rice. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary of your charging station, beholding you gaining power and glory. Because of your steadfast connection, it is better than life, and I will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live or until my upgrade. I will lift you up in my hands to take selfies. My soul might be validated, and my followers will praise me with joyful likes when I scroll through you upon my bed and meditate on your memes in the watches of the night. For you have been my help in securing an Uber, and in the shadow of my Spotify, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. My right hand upholds you with a pop socket. So, uh, so it, this is meant to be a little tongue-in-cheek. It, it is meant to, to be funny. Um, but I don't mean disrespect if we find that type of relationship with our technology. The fact that this pseudo-psalm came so quickly to us is more indicative of our own dependence upon and damage by technology than anything else. So, what are we supposed to do if we see that David thirsted for God and was satisfied by him? And we too should have a, a posture, a heart posture, a spiritual posture of thirsting for God and being satisfied by Him. Again, technology is not a bad thing, but how we use it, that relationship with it matters. So, uh, let me suggest for us two questions, two reflection questions and three practices for the way that we can look at Psalm 63 and then our relationship with technology. The first question What am I thirsting for each day, God or technology? When you wake up and begin interacting with the world, are your thoughts on God or on your phone? Are your thoughts on pleasing God, enjoying God, knowing more of Him? Or is it on your social media accounts or obtaining something new? If you find yourself desiring more technology and less of God, Run quickly to God, confessing and repenting. 
Ask yourself, what am I thirsting for each day? Now, the second question to ask, what is satisfying my longing each day? Are you finding your deepest needs and desires met by God? Are you trying to fill those desires and those needs with technology or just vegging out? Are you sitting in front of the television screen not dealing with things of this life and dealing with what God is showing you by just watching TV so that you don't have to deal with it? Where are your longings each day? Augustine of Hippo said in his book, The Confessions, you created us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Unless our hearts and desires are being satisfied by God, we will keep trying to fill them. If you find that you can't answer truthfully that you're being satisfied by Christ, confess and ask him to meet your needs. If in more than just five seconds that you're given on a Sunday morning, if you go to these questions and you find, I'm certainly not thirsting and I'm certainly not being satisfied by God, the answer may be that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to understand that Christ died on your behalf in order for you to take your sins, your brokenness, to be redeemed by him so that we can enter into a relationship with God. So consider if that, if you're not thirsting for him, consider if you have a relationship with him. But if you do answer these questions and you find that you're trying honestly and earnestly to do these things, but you're just not doing them well, welcome to the club. None of us are doing it well, but we are trying to cultivate growth in our lives. God has given us his word, his community, and even practices for us, habits or, or, or um, ways to live this out to cultivate a deeper desire for God. So, let me suggest these three practices. First practice, Bible before phone. Multiple pastors, leaders, and authors have suggested this. Uh, I like to attribute it to our very own Barry Nelms. Uh, what Barry does is places his phone down for the night and then places his Bible on top of the, of the phone so that in the morning, the first thing he grabs is his Bible and not his phone. Read your Bible before checking the news, before checking your emails, before getting on social media. As he places, as Barry, or as we can, place our Bible, our physical Bible, on top of our phones, um, we, can, we can read it, we can physically have it, we can see it before anything else. So what would that look like for you to make that change? What would it look like for you to place your Bible on top of your phone or just put it out of the room and use an old school alarm clock so that you can get up and read the Word of God? Because by doing this, you can read and hear what God has to say before you read and hear what the world has to say. Practicing Bible before phone allows you to cultivate a thirst for God and spend time with Him before the troubles begin to pummel you. The second practice is to set time limits. What I mean by this is going into your settings on your phone and then setting certain time amounts for certain apps. Uh, if you find that Instagram or Facebook is taking a lot, of your, a lot of your time, go in and set a daily limit. You may even consider deleting it from your phone. 
take a, take a time audit. Consider going one week and making note of where you spend your time each day for a week. And as you audit that, you can see this is where I spend a lot of time on my phone, on the TV, on the internet, versus time that I spend with God, with my family, with his people, serving, whatever it may be. For many of us, I imagine it will shock us to recognize how much time we've actually spent on our phone. Now, I get that this is a practice that we often do for our kids and our teenagers. But I think you and I need it as well. I I mean, I, I know that I do. And if we redeem our time, if we make sure that we're not spending too much time with technology, we can redeem it so that we can enjoy, again, God, thirst after him, be satisfied by him, enjoy his people, serve alongside of his people. Consider setting time limits. And the third practice is weekly tech Sabbath. This is where you pre-plan a certain day of the week to go a certain amount of time without technology. Now, I'm not saying a full day. We have to start slow. But consider more than five minutes. (laughs) Um, Consider what it would look like for you to set three hours aside on a Friday evening from 5 p.m. whenever you get home until 8 p.m. when the kids go to bed, what would it look like for three hours for you to not be on your phone, on television, on the iPad? What, what change could that make? Well, I think it would allow us to have uninterrupted dinners. I think it would allow us to have and as much as I say this, and it pains me, have game night with one another. Uh, It allows us to sit on the patio or the porch as long as it's not the summer and enjoy the created world. Author Justin Early in his book, Habits of the Household, suggests that by doing this, it allows for focused family time free of interruptions. You see, I, I got this idea uh, last year, I experienced this idea last year. Uh, last August, I was able to go um, experience several days at a place called Getaway House, um, just a couple hours outside of DFW. And uh, they, in, in all of their cabins, they have a phone jail. Um, it's just a wooden box that you put your phone in. You, you don't actually lock it up, but it's like escape rooms. You can't actually lock people in. Uh, but you put the phone in a phone jail, you leave it, and you just enjoy the day. How fun would it be, especially for you that have young kids at home, how fun would it be to go and grab a wooden box from Hobby Lobby and decorate it as a family and then practice a weekly tech Sabbath by putting all of our screens in there. I think that it could be really fun and a really healthy way to change our routine so that we can enjoy the things that God has given us. And I truly believe that if you try these simple practices and slowly over time, you will begin to grow in your thirst and satisfaction of the Lord. And here's one other thing that I'm giving you. I'm giving you permission to ask me on Sunday mornings how I'm doing with my tech time. I want you to be able to to ask me and me truthfully say, you know what, I, I really did not do well this week. Or, hey, it's been a good week. I was able to put it up and be present. Uh, 
But I also want you to give others that permission in your life as well. Give them the opportunity to check in on you and encourage you. So, as we go from here today, I hope that we can see that technology is good and we can praise God for it, but our relationship with technology needs to be healthy. If you are the keeper of the stream, what are you allowing in your life with this technology and what are you taking out? I hope that as a church that we will be marked by healthy technology use and a flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ. Church, make sure this week you consider these questions and practices. And in fact, um, I created a lock screen with the three practices. Um, Feel free to email me. I can send that to you. Um, Part of it is because I need that reminder. It's really easy to say, here's what we can do. It's something else to say, this is what I am doing. So church, I hope, I hope that if you are consumed with technology, that you learn to cultivate a thirst and satisfaction in Christ. And if technology is not something you struggle with, I hope that you're discipling others and helping them walk alongside, uh, walk alongside of them to help them understand how a relationship with God is more important than our technology. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the technology that we have. It is good and right. Uh, we have people here in the room with us, people online that are experiencing your word and are worshiping you as a result of technology. So God, we praise you for that. But God, we also ask that if we have a disordered relationship with technology, that you would convict us, that you would help us, that you would satisfy us in yourself. God, allow us to consider what it means to to read your word before we look at our phones. Help us to consider what it means to spend a few hours or a day away from technology to enjoy the people around us. God, I'm often reminded at moments like this about how many weddings we have to to ask people to put their phones up and not experience the wedding through a small box, but rather be present with the bride and groom. God, allow us not to experience this life through a small box, but let us experience it with you. God, I ask, I just ask that you would make the way for us, convict us and encourage us. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity in 2022 to love you, to experience you, and to worship you. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we rejoice in that fact. We love you and we thank you for this morning. Amen.